Well, you can keep Second Chronicles open uh, in front of you this evening. We'll be, we'll be looking mainly at chapter 15, but with reference to the other chapters that we've read as well, as we think this evening about wholeheartedness in covenant renewal, wholehearted covenant renewal. The book of Chronicles, which is divided in our English Bibles into First and Second Chronicles, just very arbitrarily, uh, it was written for a tiny remnant of God's people who had returned to Jerusalem after their exile to Babylon. Uh, just over 500 years before the birth of Jesus, King Cyrus of Persia issued a decree that all the Jewish exiles across his kingdom should be allowed to return, if they wished, back to the land of Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. And they should be also permitted to build a temple for the worship of their God. And on the one hand, that was a wonderful moment. It was an answer to the prayers of people like Daniel. If you read his prayer in Daniel chapter 7. It was an answer to the prayers of those who had faithfully waited for the day when their exile would come to an end. But on the other hand, the challenges they faced when they arrived home to Jerusalem were daunting. And we can read about those challenges in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and some of the latter prophets. They had to rebuild the temple. Uh, You think of how glorious the temple was in Solomon's day and it had been completely destroyed. And these people, far smaller in number, far less wealth behind them than Solomon had, they had to rebuild it. They had to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, as the book of Nehemiah describes for us. They had to reestablish their religious calendar and their their customs and their whole way of life, all the while wondering if their nation would ever really be what it had been before. But First and Second Chronicles is a book designed to encourage uh, those people who had come back from exile and to guide them through the process of it, so to speak. Chronicles details the history of the kings of Judah in particular, deals with the life of David in First Chronicles, And then uh, the the kings following him. And it deals with them all in a very specific way. It spends extra time on the kings who obeyed God. Extra time describing what they got right. As well as making very clear that when they disobeyed God, they suffered. And the reason Chronicles does that, friends, is because it is acting as a sort of a manual. or, Or a guidebook for the Jews living after the exile. Uh, Telling them how they can get their way of life back again. Telling them that if you do things the way that kings A, B and C did, you'll be blessed. If you do things like kings X, Y and Z did, you'll suffer. Chronicles gives 47 verses, three chapters as they're divided in our English Bibles to the reign of King Asa. And that's a a rather large chunk and it tells us uh, in itself, it tells us and and it would have told the post-exile Jews, this is a king whose reign is worth learning from and paying attention to. As I mentioned earlier, King Asa was the great-great-grandson of King David. He was the third king to rule in Jerusalem after the split into the two kingdoms. And the two kings before Asa, his father Abijah and his grandfather Rehoboam, they were wicked kings. But Asa is different and the chronicler emphasises to us that good things happened in Asa's reign. As 2 Chronicles 14 verse 2 says, because he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. 
And at the heart of the reign, literally in the heart of uh, the, the three chapters about Asa's reign, what do we find? Covenant renewal. Uh, and so it's the high point, it's the main focus for the writer of Chronicles of the reign of Asa. I want to think first of all this evening as we consider covenant renewal in Asa's day, I want to think about the inspiration for covenant renewal. The inspiration for covenant renewal. Second Chronicles 14 tells us that even before King Asa led his people in covenant renewal, things were going very well for him by God's grace. Chapter 14 verse 6 for example says, Asa built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years for the Lord gave him peace. Uh, fortified cities were cities on the, on the outskirts of the land. They were sort of the first line of defense. You would station a few, a few soldiers or a few people there uh, and they would send word back if they were under attack to the more important cities. And so if you have time to build up those fortifications, well then it tells you that you're in a time of great peace and rest. And that's what Asa enjoyed in the early years of his reign. Peace and rest. And, and those two words are very closely connected in the Old Testament. In many ways they're the, the ultimate sign of God's blessing on his people. When they're enjoying peace and rest. And even when a serious threat finally did come to Asa's door. God gave him the victory. Gave him an amazing victory. Chapter 14 verse 9 says that Zerah. The ruler of Ethiopia came against Asa with a million men and 300 chariots. Asa has only half that number of troops. This would have seemed an unstoppable military force. Chariots were the cutting edge military technology of their day. But what happened? Chapter 14, 11. Asa cried to the Lord his God. Yesa brought the needs of his nation to God in prayer. And verse 12 says, God graciously and immediately answered that prayer. Verse 12, the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Yesa and before Judah. Notice it doesn't say that God gave Yesa the strength to defeat the Ethiopians. It just says that God himself defeated them. The armies of heaven. And so a decisive and miraculous victory is won. Verse 15 says that, Asa and the people carry off as much loot as they can carry. Tons of livestock, tons of of loot and and treasure from their enemies. And so in these early years of his reign, friends, things are going really well for Asa. And the reason is because he, like David and Solomon before him, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But there was room for Asa and for his kingdom to go further. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Azariah is a prophet. He is anointed by God to speak God's word to the king. This is the dynamic that we often see in the Old Testament. Kings rule God's people. Prophets bring God's word to the king and to God's people. 
And this prophet Azariah gives Asa the reason why things have been going well for him. He says, the Lord is with you while you're with him. You've been living and reigning in, in the way that God requires and God commands. And so God has blessed you. But in a sense, Azariah says that there can be more blessing for you. Things can get even better. If you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. And notice, friends, this is a message for the whole kingdom, for all the people, not just for Asa. He says, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the whole kingdom. There's blessing for all of you if you seek the Lord your God with all your heart. If you do not, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And this, of course, friends, is again the language of covenant. It's similar to the kind of language we saw this morning in Deuteronomy 28, 29 and 30. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And notice the response of King Asa to this word from the Lord, chapter 15 and verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, it goes on, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. Prompted by God's word, Asa now shows a zero tolerance policy for idolatry in his kingdom. Verse 8 says that he sought to some, we imagine, long overdue maintenance work in one of the elders, or sorry, one of the altars at the temple. And then look at verse 9. He, he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. Uh, and they gather at Jerusalem for what we will see in a moment quite clearly is a covenant renewal ceremony. And so reformation takes place, friends. Revival takes place. And covenant renewal takes place. But notice, it was the word of God. It was the word of the Lord that provided the inspiration and the guidance and the direction for this. Azariah says in verse 7, Take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. There's God's word urging Asa on in the work that he's been called to do. Maybe Asa had been thinking during those early years of his reign. Uh, you know, we, we really ought to be more thorough in, in ridding the nation of idolatry. Chapter 14 tells us that they did begin uh, to remove much, many of the idols. But perhaps it came to the point where Asa thought, if we push any further, what's the reaction going to be? Maybe Asa had been thinking we really ought to call God's people together and, and lead them in proper worship of God at the temple. But... How do we, where would we start with that? Perhaps Reformation had gone so far in, in, in Ace's reign, but he was wondering how much further he could take it. Remember that Asa didn't have any good examples from anyone in his own lifetime to turn to regarding these things. His father and his grandfather were wicked, foolish men. Who had probably, it was really largely due to them that the nation was as idolatrous as it was at this time. They had overseen spiritual decline. In fact, some writers suggest that the last time covenant renewal had been carried out before Asa's time would have been 500 years ago in the days of Joshua. No one living in Asa's day 
had really seen anything like the kind of recommitment to God that was needed at that moment. Perhaps Asa thought that national renewed commitment was too much to hope for. And so he hadn't pursued it. Perhaps we're tempted to think in similar ways today, friends, as we prepare for our covenant renewal. We might think, well, we're a very small bunch of people. Our denomination is tiny. Our influence is limited. It's not like other churches or our our nation is suddenly going to follow our example and undertake covenant renewal just because we are. And so we might think, is there is there really much point? Or perhaps to make it more personal, we think to ourselves, I've been putting up with sin, I've been excusing sin, or I've had just a general lazy attitude in my, in my relationship with the Lord for a long time now. Recommitting to him might be quite difficult. Will the Lord even want me to come to him? Is he going to forgive those persistent and long-standing sins in my life? Perhaps we're discouraged by the spiritual darkness we find ourselves living in today. The idolatry and the apathy of the world around us. It it feels so so oppressive at times. So hard to stand against. And all of these things, friends, could discourage us from renewing our covenant commitments to God. But what does God's word say to us? If you seek him, he will be found by you. Take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Jesus Christ said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in covenant renewal, friends, we are coming back to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saying again, he is the one who can give us rest. He can give me rest. He can give us rest. He could give our nation rest. If only our nation would acknowledge him again as once it did. As we considered last week and again this morning, God's covenant, friends, is a bond of love. It's a solemn commitment that he's made to give us life And land and lasting love in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more committed we are to that covenant. And particularly when we recommit ourselves to that covenant. He promises to bless us. That's what he said in his word to Asa. It's what he said to the Jews who returned from exile in Jerusalem. It's what he says to us in 2022. Seek me and you will find me. Commit to me. And you will have rest with me. And so why are we undertaking covenant renewal? Because God's word urges us and encourages us to do so. The inspiration for covenant renewal. Secondly, the wholeheartedness required in covenant renewal. The wholeheartedness required in covenant renewal. We saw this this morning in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. And we see it again this evening and it's, it's no coincidence and it's no bad thing to consider this point afresh. Now just look at the covenant renewal ceremony described for us here at Second Chronicles 15 verse 11. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought. That's the spoil from the Ethiopian conquest. 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant with the Lord, the God of their fathers, 
Notice, with all their heart and with all their soul. Look at verse 15. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, for the Lord gave them rest all around. This is a scene, friends, of real spiritual joy and encouragement. There's shouting, there's trumpet blasts, verse 14. There's this incredibly, ridiculously large sacrificing of animals, uh, denoting their eagerness and their zeal in coming to God in worship. There's this gathering together of the people in joyful, wholehearted worship. And above all, there is God keeping his promises because it says they sought him and he was found by them. God kept his promise through the prophet Azariah. The joy these people felt in uniting themselves to God, recommitting themselves to God, had far surpassed anything they could have experienced from their idols. And it came because they wholeheartedly repented of that idolatry and wholeheartedly turned to the Lord in worship. Notice just how serious they were about this Covenant renewal, verse 13. Whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, they said, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. And verse 16 says that King Asa even removed his mother, Maka, from her royal position as queen mother, a very respected and prestigious position in the king's court, because she was an idolater. And so King Asa here leads by example. There, there are no exceptions. He throws his own mother out of the king's court because she's an idol worshipper. Now perhaps we think some of this sounds extreme, especially the notion that anyone who refused to enter into this covenant was put to death. Uh, that, that won't happen in two weeks' time in Dremore. Uh, we hope that all of you will nonetheless enter into covenant renewal. Uh, but but why, was this, why was this step taken in, in this time? Well, friends, it just shows the fresh understanding and appreciation that King Asa and the people had uh, for their relationship with God. These people were part of, the, of God's covenant nation. Their whole identity was supposed to be that they gladly worshipped and served only God. If there was anyone in the kingdom who didn't appreciate that, who didn't want to be a part of that, then they didn't belong in the kingdom. And they were choosing, as we considered this morning in the words of Moses to the people, they were choosing death for themselves in that sense. To be outside the sphere of God's covenant blessings. The equivalent of this for us today would be excommunication. uh, The most severe form of church discipline that we can take. That if someone isn't willing to commit to the people of God, to the local church And the worship of God according to the word of God. Then despite whatever claims they may make. Whether their name has been on a members list for many years or not. They do not belong with God's people. Unless they're going to commit to God's word and God's worship. And as you and I prepare to recommit ourselves to God and covenant loyalty friends. We must do so wholeheartedly. This is a good opportunity for us to do as Paul commands us to do before the Lord's Supper. To examine ourselves and to ask as King Asa did. Are there any idols 
in our lives that need smashing and repenting of? Is there any aspect of our walk with God that is less than wholehearted? How is our use and enjoyment of the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, going at the moment? At our men's fellowship last week, we were talking about some of the ways that Christians should stand out from the world in our culture. And we mentioned that our observing of, the, of this commandment should be one of them. Do we delight in the Lord's Day? Do we prepare for it? Do we, do we take practical steps to help us to keep it? Maybe switching off some of our notifications on the phone. Getting a good night's sleep. Thinking through some of the activities that would be good for the children. Do we take practical steps to remember and delight in the Lord's Day? What about our, what about our sense of contentment? You might say, why pick on that? Well, because we're, because we're living in a very discontented society. Everyone wants the government to fix everything and make everything better with a snap of their fingers. We're seeing strikes and price rises and a recession looming. And of course, there are those who are extremely vulnerable to these things and who will need help and who will need support in the months ahead. But for other people, they will be okay. It's just that the levels of comfort and the standard of living perhaps won't be quite what they were used to or what they think they deserve. And the idols of material gain and Material comfort and status and lifestyle can come creeping in. Are we learning, as the Apostle Paul did, friends, in every situation to be content? Or is there some idol that we're thinking, if only I had that, I would be content? What about the things that we look at or listen to? Are we in habits, maybe secret habits, of allowing our eyes to look at what the psalmist called worthless things. Filling our ears with empty worldly talk from our phones or the TV screen or the web browsers. Covenant renewal is an opportunity to do as the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any evil way within me. Lead me. In the way that is everlasting. Covenant renewal is an opportunity to seek Christ. To find rest in him. Rather than in the bank balance. Or entertainment or social media status. It can be a time of great blessing. As it was for King Asa and Judah. But wholeheartedness is required friends. If we are to experience those blessings. So the inspiration for covenant renewal, the wholeheartedness required for covenant renewal, and thirdly and finally, the legacy of covenant renewal. And I, I did struggle a bit to come up with a heading that would sort of get to the point of this, but I've gone with the legacy of covenant renewal. Chapter 15, verse 17 sums up the reign of King Asa by saying that his heart was wholly true All his days. Again, notice wholeheartedness emphasized. And King Asa is one of the most highly commanded kings in the the whole Bible. He never seems to have turned to idols himself. He's never recorded as worshipping false gods or tolerating idolatry in his kingdom. And so we believe deep in his heart, he remained true to the God of Israel. 
But he wasn't perfect. And despite being the king who led God's people into their first covenant renewal for perhaps 500 years, 2 Chronicles 16 records a very sad and discouraging episode later in Asa's life. Chapter 16 verse 1 describes how King Basha, who was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, he basically tries, we, we, uh, commentators suggest what he was probably doing was trying to blockade uh, a main highway, a main thoroughfare at Ramah, which was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, Basha was frustrated because uh, many of his people in the northern kingdom, they were, they were migrating, they were coming and settling in the southern kingdom. Because as I mentioned earlier, the southern kingdom had Jerusalem, it had the temple, and so wholehearted Israelites would want to be able to go there. Uh, but that was, of course, bad PR for Basha. Uh, I suppose we can maybe relate to um, some, some uh, people in Northern Ireland perhaps looking enviously at better economic conditions in the Republic of Ireland or something and perhaps worrying that that will undermine the position of Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. Uh, something like that perhaps going on here with Basha. He's a bit insecure about his citizens wanting to go down south. And this threatens to lead to open conflict between King Basha and King Asa. So what does King Asa do? Well, when he faced a, a, an army of a million Ethiopians in chapter 14, he defeated them by calling upon God in prayer. And so you would expect him now as he faces the threat from Basha to seek God again. If God could save him from a million Ethiopians, he can save him from the much smaller threat uh, of Basha. But Asa doesn't seek God in prayer. Instead, he makes a military alliance with Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, a foreign pagan nation. Verses 3 and 4 describe how Asa actually takes funds out of the temple treasury and buys the support of Ben-Hadad so that Ben-Hadad sends military forces to invade King Basha's territory. So what happens is King Basha in Israel, he's got Judah to the south, He's got Syria to the north and he can't fight a war on two fronts. He's got the Syrians coming at him from one angle. He's got Judah to worry about at the other angle. And so, humanly speaking, Asa pulls off a great piece of military stratagem here. He, he, he does what makes perfect sense, humanly speaking. Stretches his enemy too thin and negates the threat. And humanly speaking, you would say that's great military work. But for the king of God's people, friends, it's arrogant self-reliance. Arrogant self-reliance. And what's particularly sad about it is that if you look at chapter 16, verse 3, Asa's arrangement with the king of Syria is called a covenant. As I mentioned this morning, covenants were very common among nations and rulers in the ancient world. But King Asa was supposed to be in an exclusive covenant He was supposed to be wholeheartedly in covenant only with his God. And because of what he does here with Syria, God sends another prophet, Hanani, to speak to King Asa. Look at chapter 16, verse 7. Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. 
Notice the language there. The, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. The implication seems to be that if Asa had trusted in God, not only would he have got the victory over Basha, but he might even eventually have conquered Syria. He goes on in verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, giving strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly. Foolishly. And so God rebukes Asa, friends, on this occasion for what was a lapse or a lack in his faith and his self-reliance. He had sought God wholeheartedly when he led his people into covenant renewal. But now he relied on himself and lost out on further blessings that he could have had. And sadly, in the last couple of years of Asa's reign, uh, he continues to show this self-reliance streak. He, he gets a disease of some kind in his feet. And again, he doesn't seek God over that. He just relies on human help. Uh, some commentators suggest that when it says he sought the help of physicians, the implication may be there that these were pagan physicians. Uh, not uh, didn't have time to follow that up. But of course, believers, as believers, we're always right to use the medical help that we can get from qualified uh, physicians, but we recognize as we do so that God has provided all of that medical help. He has given that expertise to our doctors and nurses. The power to heal, whether by natural or miraculous means, it lies with God. And again, Asa fails to acknowledge that. And he even lashes, it's very strange to read this, having read what we read about him earlier, but he lashes out angrily at Hanani, at Hanani, the prophet. He actually becomes the first king to persecute a prophet. And it says that he dealt harshly with other people as well. He never became an idolater. But in these last two or three years, Asa didn't finish well. He didn't finish well. Covenant renewal is a biblical and worthwhile exercise. I trust at this point we're, we're seeing that. A key and opportune moments for God's people to return, to renew and recommit ourselves to our gracious God. But friends, we must not quickly forget the commitments that we make. We sign the page in a couple of weeks' time, Lord willing. I, I hope it'll be a moment of, of joy, of reverence, of thanksgiving, wholehearted worship as it was in the days of Asa and Judah. But what will the next day bring? Where will you be in your walk with the Lord the next month or the next year, the next decade? It's one of the reasons that we have the Lord's Supper regularly. The Lord's Supper is also a form of covenant renewal. And so a few weeks after we sign our covenant commitment, we, we God willing, will have opportunity to again pause and come to the Lord's table. But friends, the requirements of God's covenant were the same for Abraham, for Moses, and for King Asa. They're the same for us today. Walk before me and be blameless. Seek me with all your heart. Find your rest in me and only in me. And not in the idols of possession or income or status or comfort or job title. And as I said this morning, the reality is that all of us fall short of the blamelessness that God requires. Even if it's said of us when we die that that man or that woman wholeheartedly loved God, 
It doesn't mean that we were perfect. Like Asa, we make mistakes. We can go through those self-reliant streaks. We don't always cry out to the God who sees and who knows exactly what we need. But the good news, friends, is that there is a better king and a better leader and a better mediator of the covenant who has taken the punishment that all of our self-reliance and other sins and feelings deserve, the Lord Jesus Christ. King Asa offered up 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep for his people. King Jesus has offered up his very own blood for his people. The blood of the new covenant that covers over all our sins. King Asa, with disease in his feet, refused to cry out to the Lord. King Jesus, with nails in his feet on the cross, cried out to his Father, in trust, into your hands, I commit my spirit. King Asa was buried with thought and care in Jerusalem with perfumes and spices, never to rise again until the last day. King Jesus was buried with perfumes and spices, but rose again three days later. Jesus is a better king, and he can provide for us even better blessings than in the days of Asa. And in his word, he invites us to come and recommit ourselves to him, to seek him wholeheartedly, to put away our idols and rely upon him fully. Friends, may there be a better legacy from our covenant renewal in our own personal lives, in our life as a church. May it lead to lasting, zealous, humble commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The inspiration for covenant renewal The wholeheartedness required for covenant renewal and the legacy of covenant renewal. The prophet Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon him. Amen. If you're able, please stand as we come to the Lord in prayer.